Happy Father's Day, everyone. I should have mentioned that up front and said I was talking about not touching. Happy Father's Day. Those of you who are fathers, grandfathers, soon-to-be fathers, maybe never-to-be fathers, happy Father's Day to everybody. Fathers, you just have such a great job. We do as fathers. God has been really generous to us. So I want to talk about Father's Day, and I'm aware of the fact that anytime you speak to a certain demographic in a church, other people are tempted to think, well, he's not talking to me this morning. Let me say something. First of all, it is in your best interest that the world has great fathers. Everybody wins when we have good fathers. And second, let me just say this, all the principles that apply to being a good father, they apply to all of our relationships, our important relationships. So no matter who we're addressing, biblical principles they work across the board. So I want to talk about fathering and just uh, offer you fathers some encouragement and also a little biblical instruction. Let me start with a story. So um, Rachel, my daughter Rachel, uh, she, she was so easy for me to hang out with because all she wanted to do was just go wherever I went. And so we never had to work at it. But Jonathan, my son, he, our interests were almost the opposite for when he was a child. He loved screens. And I just never paid it. I don't like screens. I don't like to sit. I can't, can hardly sit through a movie or a television program. They bore me to tears. I feel like I'm wasting time. And so if I wanted to spend time with Jonathan, I sort of had to enter into his world, which was usually a screen world. So early on, we limited, by the way, we always limited their screen time. They got one hour a day of screen time. But early on, I decided, all right, I'm going to, I know how much you like screens. I'm going to try to enter his world. So I bought one of those uh, Nintendos, one of the early ones. And I think Mario had just come out. And I decided I was going to try to play video games with him. Okay, I was like three minutes into the, my very first experience with video games when it dawned on me, I hate this. This is like the biggest mistake I've ever made because I can't stand to sit in front of a television and just do that. So... I just had to make myself do it. John, I know you're watching. I had to make, give me, give me credit, son. I had to, I had to make myself do it. And Julie will tell you that there were so many times I would come in and I would say to Julie afterwards, I hope God was watching because that's the hardest thing I've ever done. I want points. I want some kind of credit for doing this. And one time John was little, so we, we, we did this. I spent Friday night playing a video game with him and, um, at the end of you know, the video game, we put him to bed. And I went in and I said the same to Julie. I said, oh my goodness, I hope God was giving me points tonight because I was like the worst, oh, worst waste of hours in my life. I'm so sorry to say this in front of you, Jonathan. <laughs> and the next day he had a friend over and I heard him in the next room talking. And his friend said something about, how was your day? And you know what John said? He said, yesterday was the best day of my life. Last night, my dad played games with me until I went to bed. Oh, I never forgot that. Because what I considered to be, well, I shouldn't say a waste of time, but it felt like it. Turns out it was the best day of my son's life. I learned early on, I was coached by some elders at North Boulevard early on, to think about raising children the same way you might think about an investment account or maybe a garden. If you're investing money, and a lot of us guys, we think about that, you realize that if you put a little bit in every day, if you'll invest a little at a time, especially when you're younger, it pays huge dividends down the road. If you're a gardener, you can't just plant the seed and then come back and harvest it when it's done. You have to invest in it every day. 
make sure it's fertilized, make sure it's getting water, make sure weeds aren't eating it up and so forth. And if you think about rearing children that way, raising children that way, that it's an investment. The, the cool thing, it pays off in blessings you cannot imagine. So I have four children now, my son and his wife Mackenzie, my daughter and her husband Dalton, and they're the four best kids you could ever have. Um, you've heard me through years talk about how much I adore my daughter, but I can tell you my hero is Jonathan. I don't know a better human being on planet earth than my son. He is as good as gold. And the reward, I guess, for what wasn't often a very good job of parenting on my part, the reward I got was four kids that I adore. It's a great reward. It's better than silver and gold. It's better than fame and fortune. It's better than good health. It's the greatest gift I could ever have asked for this side of the kingdom of God. So what I want to do is just offer you a little bit of maybe biblical advice and encouragement. It's true for fathers. It's true for grandfathers. I know for some of you grandfathers, you're functionally the fathers of your children. And uh, it's true for all of us. Even if you're a a woman, you're never going to be a father. Many of these principles are transferable. Let me just stop and express some solidarity with dads for a moment because dads were all over the place. Some of you are fathering little children. You may have teenagers, girls, boys, grandkids. Let me just offer a little um, empathy, a little um, solidarity. So I can say that fathering is a critical, critical need. I I, I won't go down this road far, but let me say, I I actually believe most of America's problems right now are the result of the lack of a father. By the way, I'm not knocking dads. What I'm saying is when you have 30 or 40% of Americans growing up without a dad, you are going to have a mental health crisis, and we have one. You're going to have incarceration rates out the roof, and we have it. You're going to have massive crime problems, and we have it. You're going to have uh, individuals who have all kinds of brokenness inside of them. We have it. So that underscores the need for the church to be a place that speaks often about fathers, encourages fathers, and equips fathers. Now let me say something to the fathers. Uh, Maybe let me say it to the women. Mothers and wives, women. You have a difficult role. I get it. I don't want to downplay your difficult role, but I do want to say fatherhood is really hard. It's a very difficult thing to do. First of all, for a lot of us men, we don't have good role models. We don't even know what it looks like to be a good father. Thank God I, had a, I have a great father. I just try to be like my dad. I really do. But for a lot of you guys, you had absent fathers, you had bad fathers, you don't have a good role model, which is one reason why discipling is so important. You get role models in your life. You know, another thing about fathering is that men in fatherhood are asked to do things that are generally not instinctive for us. I'm not talking about changing diapers. That's not instinctive for anybody as far as I can tell. But what I am saying is that most of us men, we're not all that equipped to be relational, and yet effective fathering requires that we become relational. We're watching these little humans go through all these transformations. We're clueless about what's going on. For a lot of us fathers, it's not instinctive for us to be emotional with our children. For a lot of you guys, you still don't pray with your families because it's so uninstinctive for you to do that. 
when you get a teenage girl. So Rachel, like Rachel and I, we held hands. I was her dad. Everything was great. And one day she turned 13 and like everything about me embarrassed her. Everything. Just seeing me was a source of embarrassment. Uh, and, and like I wasn't equipped to deal with all that. I don't know what to do with all that. So to some extent, we're not really equipped for the job that God has called us to do. So we really have to shore up some of our uh, growth areas. And one other thing. Every father I know has the nagging feeling somewhere in the back of his head that if I blow this, I'm going to ruin the lives of the people I love the most. That's a heavy burden. I've always felt that. If I blow being a good father, if I blow my career as a minister, my kids won't get insurance, we'll have to move, they'll drop out of school. I could ruin the lives of three people if I blow this. That's a heavy burden that men carry. I think women do too, but I'm just telling you, we men carry it. So in the face of all of that, is there some encouragement, maybe some exhortation from the Word of God that would be helpful? And the answer is yes. And I'm going to start with Malachi chapter 4 because Malachi chapter 4 actually underscores everything I've just said. These are the last two verses of the Old Testament. And that's really important. The very last words of the Old Testament, what would you expect them to be? So Three-fourths of the Bible is Old Testament. You would th- I don't know how you think it would end. How would you end the Old Testament if you were God? Listen to how God ends the Old Testament. The last two verses, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the last two verses of the whole Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. He's talking about John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus beyond that. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to, uh, uh, to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And listen to this, the last verse of the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with devastation. God's last words in the Old Testament are, I want the father's hearts turned back to their kids and the kids' hearts turned back to their fathers. And then he says, and if that doesn't happen, there'll be devastation, as we've seen. So let me give you a few biblical words of encouragement. Let's start, um, let's start with this. And I've picked three verses to supplement Malachi chapter 4. Let's start here, Proverbs 14 and verse 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. I'm going to make this point. If you put God first, men, it will give safety and security and a safe harbor for your children. So you ought to put God first because that's exactly what he says you should do. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in this verse, he attaches a blessing to it. If you want your children to feel safe and secure, make sure that they know that you love God. You know, there's a psychological blessing in putting God first, and here it is. Your children need to know that you stand for something. Because when your children know that you stand for something and you stand for something good, they feel safe. Like I without going into a lot of detail, especially in a sermon I'm trying to keep short. I knew what my dad stood for growing up. I never doubted what daddy stood for. And it gave me great peace because I knew there are some things my dad will never do. I knew my dad would never leave me. I knew he was going to do what my dad was a, a similar to a Tom Beatty. My dad was going to do the right thing no matter what. And if you got in the way, it wasn't going to end good for you because he was going to do the right thing. 
I always knew where we stood. I never had an insecurity about it. I just, like, all along, it's like, man, it's a great, I had a good childhood because I knew where my daddy stood. And what the proverb writer is saying is not just you should love God because he tells you to, and that's enough of a reason. What he's saying is when your children know your convictions, you provide safety for them. They feel secure. It's like a fence. You think a fence is a curse to a child? It's a blessing because now they know where their boundaries are. Now they don't run out in the street. It's like a crate for a dog. That's a fancy word we use for cage. So... Angie loved her cage. I would hate someone to put me in a cage every night. And that's where she wanted to go. You know why? Because it gave her safety. That was her secure spot. She knew nothing could get to her as long as she was in the crate. In the same way, when we fathers put God first, when we show that we put God first, church comes before everything else. I pray with my kids whether it's comfortable or not. My kids see me forgive other people. My kids see me when I'm angry, deal with my anger in God-like ways. When your family, when your children see that God comes first, they'll find great peace and great security in there. There's a lot I want to say, but I want to give you one little quick detour here. It won't take long. Part of putting God first, man, is loving your wife. And let me say it this way. If you want happy children, show them that you love their mother. There is something so secure about knowing daddy loves mama. And by the way, if you're divorced, you love your ex-wife. You do not come between her children and her. So here's the deal. The greatest pain of divorce is the pain of seeing your parents melt down. People who are divorced know that. They need to see, your children need to see that you love your wife as Christ loves the church. I'll give you one quick example. My kids gave me permission to share illustrations. When John was young, I don't remember how old he was, and John's watching this, and John, again, you are my hero, but you weren't always my hero. <laughs> there was a little stretch where you weren't. Jonathan got in an argument with Julie over, I don't even know what it was. I was sitting in the chair. John was heading up the stairs. He had been arguing with Julie about something. He was a teenager, probably a younger teenager, and he mumbled something under his breath, which we won't share. Oh, my goodness, I almost went to prison. Before he took the next step, I popped out of the chair, and I started running after him. We ended up upstairs. It's the last time I ever spanked him. But what I said to him, I was so angry. I put my finger in his face, and I said, you will never talk to my wife that way. You can't talk to my wife like that. And it's probably embarrassing, John, for both of us to think about this and talk about it, and Julie may not like hearing about it either, but I wanted my son to know that I stand with my wife. And I want to tell you guys, your kids need to see that. They need to know you got your priorities in order and that you love that woman, that I love her as Christ loves the church. Okay, we got to keep moving. Let's move to our, our next text. It is Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That is, when you discipline them, don't go overboard. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The old translation said the nurture and admonition. Let me tell you what the words actually mean. The word training is a Greek word that just means uh, it, it's, it's like feeding. It's like caring for a plant. But the word I like is the word instruction. It's, the, it's a Greek word you know. It's the Greek word paideia. And from this word, we get our word uh, pediatrician. 
And what paideia was in, the, in old days, it was one person mentoring another person. So what Paul is saying in this text is, mentor your children. And the way I want to put it is before you give them anything else, give them you. That's what they need most of all. They need you more than they need all their toys. They need you more than they need your empire that you're building, guys. They need you more than they need whatever recreational stuff you might be involved in and hobbies and whatnot. They just need you. Get in the middle of their lives. And for a lot of us guys, we may have to schedule that because we're just really busy people. Early on, I just learned to schedule. Every Saturday morning belonged to my kids. By the way, this was in the 1990s and the early part, but before they became 20-somethings. And if you ever asked me to do something on Saturday morning, unless you're an elder, in which I try, I try not to say no to the elders, but unless you're an elder, I just said, no, that belongs to my kids. And I'm not going to break it. It morphed into this. Rachel and I went on a date it was breakfast for a while. We did some dinners. It settled on lunch. We do a date every week. She's married. She's, she was born in 1994. I can't do math. She's 26. And married. And we date every week. I take my girl on a date. My son, we go on the deck. We go two or three times a week when we can. It's our time. Because what I know they need more than anything I might give them is me. So I put it on the schedule. I want to make sure they have plenty of me. And again, I'm not, I, I, I'm sure I sound like I'm bragging. I guess I'm bragging, but I'm bragging on Jesus, if you'll let me do that. They're the best things that ever happened to me. All that investment paid off. Millions of dollars worth, it paid off. What are the odds of two brothers being Super Bowl winning quarterbacks? What are the odds? And the answer is one, or maybe two, in eight billion. But if your dad is Archie Manning, and you're investing your time in the lives of your two sons, Eli and Peyton Manning, the odds go way up. So that's what Archie did. He spent time loving on his sons, and his sons became just like him. Okay, we've got to keep moving. I want to finish this up. I want to encourage you guys, balance relationship with discipline. There's a really delicate balance here. Relationship and discipline, you, you require both. If you have neither, of, if either of those is missing, odds are you're going to go way off the rails. So let me read it to you this way out of the book of Proverbs 22 and 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. So the Proverbs over and over again remind us discipline is good for kids. It's not bad for kids. It's good for kids. We live in a, a, an age where um, we, we say we live in the age of authenticity. To me, it's perhaps one of the least authentic ages in history. We live in an age where we pretend like we're authentic. We live in an age where we, where we act like we're authentic while we're branding, our, branding ourselves after somebody else. We call that authentic. And in such an authentic uh, claiming age, it's hard for us to believe in discipline. But you just need to know, without discipline, you will likely lose your child. And here's, I just want to challenge those of you who are quite a bit younger than I. So my generation had plenty of problems. I'm not picking on another generation. We could, I pick on baby boomers, so okay. But let me say this, if you're 20-something and you have kids 
and you scream at them and count to three and then three becomes eight and then eight becomes 18 and then you just walk away because you can't do anything with them, you are raising them to hate you and they probably will because they're fools. <laughs> they are. Children are fools. They don't have wisdom. They require us to give them wisdom. You can't assume that they have it. And I want to say this too, Jonathan and Rachel are my two dearest friends, but they weren't my friends when they were kids. They were terrorists. <laughs> and we don't negotiate with terrorists in my house. We had, we had to discipline them. If you think your child's going to be your best friend right now, if you treat them like your friend, they'll likely become your enemy. But if you invest in them relationally, establish some boundaries, they may well become your best friends when they're old enough. So here's my advice. Establish a handful, but no more, a handful of reasonable, fair rules. Not 473, six, four, eight. A handful of reasonable and fair rules, and then don't compromise. Live by them and expect them. So for example, around our house, if you drop it, you pick it up. If you break it, you fix it. If you dirty it, you make it right. If you hurt a relationship, you have to make the relationship right. We had like six rules, that's it. But we didn't compromise them. And by investing in someone's life and also having expectations, you help them become fully human. There's an old saying, it's a true saying too. If you raise your children, by which we mean relationship and discipline, if you raise your children, you can spoil your grandchildren. You with me? If you spoil your, grand, your children, you'll have to raise your grandchildren. I kind of blew that. Let me try that again. If you raise your children, you can spoil your grandchildren. And I'm still waiting for that. If you spoil your children, you'll have to raise your grandchildren. Think about it. So let me just say this. The uh, book that a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, actually, uh, Jason Hauser and Bobby and Chad Harrington came out with not long ago, dedicated, raising children, discipling children, laid out a really nice formula that I've used before here. If you have rules but no relationship, you create rebellion. This is what a lot of us are concerned about. A harsh father who has no relational um, context for his discipline, he just creates a rebel. So I've said before, Daddy spanked us, he disciplined us, but he always showed us so much love that we could laugh about the discipline. We laughed about it. If you have a relationship but you will not discipline, you'll end up with a reckless child. The right balance is to have a relationship and the right rules, and you create a righteous child. So I'm just trying to share with you some ideas, and let me just summarize, and I'm going to wrap it up with a an illustration I have permission to share again. Make sure your children see that you have put God first. It gives them security. Let them see it, even when it's uncomfortable. If you make a mistake, let them see you say, I'm sorry. Nobody's ever been faster to forgive me than my kids. If I mess up with my kids, I'll say to them, I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm asking you to forgive me. And they will fall over themselves to forgive me. That's how much they appreciate someone who's willing to say, I'm sorry. Put God first. Let them see you put God first. Second, before you give them all their toys and all their screens and all that, give them yourself. That's what they need most of all, is you present in their lives. And then balance carefully rules 
and relationship. Now, I'll say this. My hero really is my son. I don't know a person who's better. John is solid gold. But there's always a daddy-daughter thing going. And if you have daughters as a man, you know what I'm speaking of. And um, I'll just put it this way. Every girl deserves a daddy who loves her as much as I love that girl, Rachel. I adore the girl. So I call my dad daddy. He's still daddy. I never stop calling him daddy. I like it. My kids called me daddy until we moved to Kansas City. And when they got there, two things changed that really irritated him. First, they stopped calling Sprite Coke and started calling it soda. It's Coke. It's Coke. Soda. Where does that even come from? Second, they stopped calling me daddy and started calling me dad, and I hated it. I mean, I hate to say that, but like there, nobody said daddy, and it sounded weird and southern and all that. So they would call me dad, but they remember. They know what it means. So Rachel occasionally, you know, when she wants something, will use the daddy term. <laughs> I don't mind saying it works. Like I, I sell out immediately. Rachel, I bet you don't know this, but I have an entire drawer of every card you ever gave me, and that's a lot. Can I just share a few? Because this is what happens when God blesses you. This is from my girl. This is probably um, maybe six years ago. I'm so, underlined three times, blessed and honored to have a great dad like you. You will never know how much I appreciate you. You are truly 100% the best daddy ever. I love you, Rachel. I just pulled one or two. Happy Father's Day to the best dad ever. Thank you for uh, all you've done for me growing up, preparing me for my life. Thank you for paying for my wedding. <laughs> Daddy, I love you and adore you. I got a bunch of them up here, but I'm going to get all choked up. Let me do one more. <laughs> Thank you so much for being the best dad a girl could ask for. I've always been a daddy's girl, and I will always continue to be a daddy's girl. Thank you for everything you've done to get me where I am. You went above and beyond as a daddy. I couldn't be more blessed. And then there's this one. I'll stop on this one. So when she got married uh, in October of 2017, she had a, an ink pen made for me. It's got my name on it. It's a beautiful pen made out of, looks like cherry and mahogany. And then she had the box engraved. It starts out by saying, dad, dad, comma, dad. A father, okay, this is going to be hard to get through. Hang on. A father holds his daughter's hand for a short while, but he holds her heart forever. Today a bride, tomorrow a wife, but always your little girl. I love you, Daddy, Rachel. They really are a great blessing from God. At some point, you're going to look back. I can say this. The best thing I ever did, I love North Boulevard. I love so many things. I love so much. But the best thing I ever did was have Rachel and Jonathan. That's the best thing. I never hoped to aspire beyond that. I want to say happy Father's Day. Make sure God is really obvious in your life. Give your kids you first. Balance your rules and your relationship in such a way that you see them flourish. And let's show the world that we not only have instruction from Jesus on how to be good fathers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it.
Let's sing a song of praise and a prayer to our Father.